Well, good morning, everyone. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because you're actually beating the odds today. Today, across America, about one in four to one in five people will go to church. And on an icy day like it is in a large part of the country, it might be a little closer to the one in five portion. But you won't be regretful that you came today. I intend today to bring to you two major passages from God's Word. Now, they're going to be short, but they'll be powerful. And I think that these passages will give you insight and wisdom. I think they're going to help you on your journey. We're doing this series called Real Love Now, where we're discussing the idea that for each one of us, God has put a dream in our hearts. And the dream that God has for us is the dream we would choose for ourselves if we took the time, had the wisdom of God, could understand things from an eternal perspective. The very thing that he's put in us is what you want for yourself. It's the thing that makes you not like the family pet. Do you have a family pet like a dog? Like, I remember growing up, we had a dog. I don't have one now because I got four kids. That's plenty of pets. But when I was growing up, I had a dog. And I don't think my dog ever got up one day and said, I wonder what the future holds for me. I wonder if 10 years from now, my life will be any better. I think every day, my dog got up and he wanted to be petted. He wanted to eat. He wanted to sleep. But God hasn't designed you that way. And he hasn't designed me this way. He's put in each one of us, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says, the touch of eternity. And it makes us realize that what we do here and now matters and echoes into eternity. Who said that? Somebody famous. Not in your Bible. Spartacus. Was it Spartacus? Yeah. You remember the movie Gladiator? Was it, was it Spartacus? What was his name? Maximus. That's what it was. Thank you. Maximus says what we do here echoes in eternity. Now, even though that's not in your Bible, it's a biblical idea that you're not here on accident. So because you're not here on accident, I intend to preach God's word to you today so that you don't leave like many Americans will leave today as they exit their churches, unmoved, unchanged, going in the same direction at the same pace. See, I don't think that's God's plan for you. I think God wants you to experience what we're calling in shorthand around here, real love now. I think that beginning right now, God wants to begin bringing that dream to pass. In fact, I think he's already doing it. And so what he wants to do is open our eyes to it and help us to see that in the middle of life right now, as it is, God has a path for you. Ever since I was a kid, I used to pray this prayer. It's what I was taught to pray. I'm not talking about the bedtime prayer we prayed or, or the prayer we prayed over our meal. We had little prayers we prayed there as well. But this is just an internal thought and a prayer that was spoken into our lives over and over again. And if you've been around church, you've probably heard it. If you haven't, I want to plant this in your heart right now. It's, God, show me your will for my life. God, show me your will for my life. The people who are pouring into my life, just like there are people pouring into your kids' lives right now, if you check them in to Four Corners Kids, they want those kids to know, people in my life wanted me to know, that God had a plan and a purpose for me. And for me to actively pursue that would be a key to opening up that dream. It would be a key to letting me experience what God has for me. So we would regularly pray. People would pray over you this phrase, God, show Ben what you have for him in his life. Help him to choose what you have for him. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I mean, like right now, as you think about your life, is there any sense in which maybe there's a little bit more than what you currently have? There's a little bit further to go, that you haven't quite maxed out all that God has for you. Well, I I hope that's you. If so, 
two powerful passages from your Bible that I think will change you. And they're going to show you two quick principles. The first principle that I want to share with you, I'm calling it a now principle, but before you hear it, you need to hear this truth. I think that one reason you may not be feeling like, if this is you, that you're living God's dream is that you're not functioning today as a person of purpose. As you look back over the last 30, 60, 90 days of your life, it could be that you haven't been living with the reality that God has a purpose for you, that there's nothing accidental in your life, that in every detail, large and small, God wants to show you his will and bring you to that place of fulfillment, of walking with him in your life and experiencing what he's already planted inside of you. And it could be that you're not aware of that because you haven't been functioning in that way. These two principles today, they're going to help you begin to function that way starting right now. Like right now, you can do that. Here's the first principle before I show you the passage where it's found. Here's what the principle says. Principle number one, more often than not, God guides us to our dream through the opportunities we have. And if we take full advantage of our current opportunities, rather than passively wait for the next one, then we're going to move closer and more quickly into the dream that God has for us. The principle for now is very simple. That if we will take advantage, full advantage, of the opportunities in front of us right now, where we currently are, that that will become a doorway through which we begin to experience future opportunities. Now this is all the way through your Bible. People in the Bible, when you read their stories, sometimes I think we get the sense that what happened was all of a sudden, boom, their life began to change. All of a sudden, one day they're walking around and the heavens opened up and they walked into their full destiny. But when you turn the pages of your Bible, that's not at all what you experience. When you take David, for example, little shepherd boy, who one day he's just out doing his job, tending his sheep, was important to his family, he took it seriously. And one day a lion came upon the sheep unprepared, unannounced. And David describes this situation where he was just doing his job and a lion came up and with the staff and rod that he had, he was able to beat back the lion and protect his sheep to do his job. A few days later, we don't know how long, a bear came up and he was able to beat back the bear. Now those two experiences just happened in the normal course of his life. He took advantage of the opportunity in front of him. And one day while he was taking lunch to his brothers on the battlefield, there happened to be not a lion or a bear, but a tall, very tall guy by the name of Goliath. David didn't plan for this. It wasn't something that he strategized out. He never said, if I could kill the enemy's giant, then that will help me become the king of Israel. He never did that. He was just taking advantage of the opportunities in front of him. And with the strength of God, as he presented himself fully, he says to Goliath one day, standing face to face on a battlefield, that today God will help me have victory over you. You intended, your plan was to be victorious, but God's going to help me. And then he writes about the experience later and he says, because God helped me with the lion and I was faithful in that. And because he helped me with the bear and I was faithful in that, then I was ready for what God had for me. You read about Daniel in your Bible. And you might get the sense that Daniel is this great guy and you can never have a life like Daniel. But Daniel was just living in his little country of Israel. And one day, an an army from Babylon comes over and carts off all the young, bright men who had promise. Babylon's idea was, rather than just destroying all this potential, they would take a few of the brightest and take them back to the homeland and indoctrinate them into the ways of Babylon and train them. They'd benefit from the human resource potential of the lands they conquered, and not just monetarily. Daniel didn't plan for that. 
But there he was in the king's house being trained and groomed so that his potential would be realized. And he took full advantage of every opportunity. And step by step, God began to open doors to where Daniel was second in command in all of Babylon. Same thing's true for Joseph, just one more. Joseph never got up one morning and said, man, I hope today is the day that God kicks in my destiny. What happened instead, he visited his brothers out on the backside of a mountain. His brothers were jealous of him and they beat him up, threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. And step by step, without little bit of planning at all on Joseph's part, he could not contain it. He could not control it. Little by little, there were opportunities presented to him, and he maintained his integrity, he maintained his faithfulness to God, and opportunity by opportunity began to reveal for him future opportunities. This is such an important part of your Bible, that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament didn't want anybody to miss the point. So with crystal clear language, he iterates in biblical language the principle we're talking about today. That if you will take advantage of the opportunities in front of you right now, that is the single best thing you can do to open yourself up to future opportunities. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in the book of Colossians in your New Testament. It's a little short, so if you're flipping, it takes a bit. I put the words on the screen behind me so that you can look at them. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, trying to unpack this very biblical principle. principle that will set you free. He says, whatever you do. Now in the Greek, that word whatever means whatever. I mean, there's no hidden message here. It's like any possibility that you find yourself in right now, that thing, where you are right now, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Wherever God puts you. As working for the Lord. The apostle Paul is trying to help people realize that where you are right now on this earth has the echoes of eternity in it so that what you're doing right now isn't just what you're doing. You are, in fact, no matter who your boss is, what your situation is, who gives you your paycheck, you are, in fact, working for the Lord where you are right now. Not for just your human masters. Some versions of the Bible say human men. They have the context of slavery here, but the principle is much bigger than that. Don't just work for people. You're working for the Lord. And then he says, listen, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the, from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your might because who you're really working for in this life is not your boss. Men, it's not your wife. Students, it's not your parents. Every opportunity we have in this life, God has put in front of us, and we live that opportunity back to him, and he rewards it. Do you remember your first job? Yeah, your first job. I do. There was a guy in my church. He was a a businessman, a proprietor, and he, he had all these small business opportunities, and God gave me favor with this guy. And one day he said, Ben, I own these coin operated car washes. And I want you to go by and take the coins out and take all the dirt out of the vacuum and put all the soap in the dispensers and I need you to check on them a few times a week and I'm going to give you some money. Man, when he mentioned that money, it's the most money I'd ever heard about like in one setting, you know, for me personally. I think it was like 50 bucks a week. He got a steal. Looking back, it was a steal for him. But 50 bucks a week for me was a big deal. I... I love this opportunity. It put cash in my pocket, stiffened my spine. I began to feel a little bit like a, like a man. And then one day he said, you know, we have these grates at the bottom of each of the bays in the car wash. 
And sometimes people come in and they spray the underbodies of their car and all kinds of muck and dirt get in the bottom. And it's a little bit of extra work, but Ben, I'll give you a little bit more money if you clean out these. If, got, if they got stuff in them, would you clean them out? Now, it's a little extra work. And I said, well, how, how much money? He says, well, you know, when I do it, I get pretty sweaty. So I'll give you five bucks more for each one you clean out. In my mind, I'm thinking every time I go, I'm cleaning out every one. I mean, this is, this is going to be the cleanest car wash. Because all I could think was, I'm willing to do extra work for extra money. It made perfect sense to me. Well, after I tried the first one, I realized that, well, five extra dollars for each bay times six could add up a lot. Oh my gosh, it was a lot of extra work. And I gotta tell you, I came nowhere close to cleaning out each one every week. It would be lucky, I mean, I'd be honest, on a few times he had to remind me, now I think that one's getting full. Would you clean up? But in my mind, it made sense. Now here's what I'm trying to show you. All of us in our natural lives, just put your spiritual thing, whatever you do with that on hold for a second. We understand the idea of extra reward for taking advantage of extra opportunity. You get a little extra money for working third shift over time for many of us, time and a half. But there's a principle at work that isn't completely different in the spiritual world as it is in our natural everyday world. That there is a reward at work if you are cognizant of the opportunity in front of you and you take advantage of it. And that reward comes when you realize this. That the opportunity in front of you right now is put there by God so that you live it unto Him. Now about 50% of the questions I get about, Ben, what do you think God's will for my life is? Are somehow in the context of work. It's my profession, my career. What should I study? Where should I go to school? And sometimes it's about a relationship as well, but about half and half, relationship, work. There's a principle right here. That God wants all of us to know so no matter where you're drawing a paycheck, he has put opportunity in front of you. And if you'll be faithful there to walk in integrity and faith, God will begin to open doors. Do not make the mistake of thinking that you'll arrive at your dream one day by waking up and having it presented to you. It doesn't happen that way. I don't know of a single success story where somebody was low and built themselves up over time where people just magically walked into the thing. Each one of them are a series of stories that go like this. There was an opportunity in front of me and I took it and God opened more doors. There was an opportunity in front of me and I stepped into that place and then from that place, there was another opportunity and I took advantage of that and then I didn't even really plan up but then there's a door open over here and I just kind of walked into that one. I'm telling you, this is the way that God reveals his dream to us in the for the future. He does it in the now through our opportunities. And your ability to tap in to the eternal in the middle of your present can change everything. It really can. It can change everything for you. I want you to understand this, that just like in your job you might have opportunities presented to you, there are spiritual opportunities. I mean, if you want your life to count beyond just living, beyond just existing and getting to the end, that God right now has put things in front of you. There are people that he's put in your life that right now you can have an impact on. There are opportunities right now that you can leverage for the benefit of God's will in this earth. The benefit of ministering and working towards helping the underprivileged. 
the benefit in the ministry of working to build into people's lives. Invest in kids. I mean, even the simplest things. Paul wants us to know that we should work at them with all our might because who knows, that very thing right in front of you right now might be the very thing that God is going to use to show you the next step in your journey towards your dream. And that's why we walk around realizing that everything we do, your grades, you do them as unto God, not just to please your parents. That the way you do your marriage right now Men, we serve our wives, not as if we're serving them alone, but as if we're serving God. Ladies, we engage our husbands, not simply so that they make life easier and nicer for us around the house. We do it as if we're serving God. And in that act of serving as unto the Lord, God reveals greater potential. More of the dream is revealed. Well, this principle, I think you can cognitively get your head around. I think that you could walk out of here today with this verse planted in your soul and it can begin to make a practical difference for you. So that when you meet that lady in the restaurant after church, you realize that how you interact as she serves you might be one of those opportunities God's put in front of you. And if you're from this church and you're like a bad tipper with a bad attitude, please don't tell them on Sunday afternoons that you go here. Pick a different church, any church, just name it, right? If you go to this church, we want you to serve the people in this neighborhood, our harvest field, as if you, as they serve you, are serving them as unto the Lord. So you give, uh, if you mention that you go to our church or leave a pen, you leave a nice tip so that they have a pleasant memory. You don't just say, I'm going to tip you with an eternal thing and I'm going to leave the practical things undone. So here's a pen, but I don't really have a tip for you. No, you give both because you do everything unto the Lord. Just one small thing. Listen, if you're a room in the, and you're a teacher, what if you taught not just students, but if, what if you regained some of that spark you had when you started and you realized that God has put in each student the potential to impact this world, to literally change the world. And he put you in that student's life to make an investment so that when you do it as unto the Lord, eternity gets planted in and things begin to change. That's why Paul said with clarity, Whatever you do, work at it with all your might as unto the Lord. But man, I don't like my boss. I get it. Been there. Done that. I remember when I first started doing ministry, I just had a desire that I wanted, that maybe God was calling me and I wanted to do something. So I sat down with an influential person in my life, and he said, Ben, I'm going to make something very clear to you. And this is a practical lesson. So we're spanning this out. He said, if you feel like God wants you to be a teacher or a preacher, the single best thing you can do is to start taking advantage of every opportunity to teach and preach right now. And it just so happens that we have a Sunday school class open that needs an assistant teacher. I was 15. It was a small church. They allowed 15-year-olds to carry way more than they should be able to carry. But his heart for me was good, and God was in the mix, and I was just being faithful, and I, began, and I took that class seriously opportunities begin to open. There was an, um, a speaker who was supposed to come on a Wednesday night to speak at our church. And relatively last minute, he canceled. And my pastor said to me, he knew the thing. He said, man, I, I'd like for you to have this opportunity. I was scared to death. My 30-minute sermon was 15 minutes long. It was 30 minutes in my head, but it was only 15 when I got it out. I testified four times the same testimony. 
It, I just said the same thing like four times over and over. It was a small step. It was a very small step. And it's a good thing they didn't record things back then as frequently as we do now, so you can't get a copy of it. But little by little, God began to open doors. But the biggest time it was in my life, I found myself as a teacher in a local high school. I didn't want to be a teacher in a local high school. I wanted to be a pastor of a church. And I found myself there through a strange series of circumstances, each one where I thought I was being obedient to God. And about a year into that, I was miserable. I was depressed. Felt like I had already peaked out here. I was in my 30s. I already peaked out, you know, only one third done with life, and I'm peaked out. What am I going to do? And I remember praying and going to God about that. And he spoke clearly to me. I don't know how he speaks to you, but the impression came in my life. And he said, Ben, you want a pastor? Pastor the kids I put in your life right now and see what I do with that. I began to work that out. Over the next five years, I worked that out. Little by little, I began to pour into kids the best I knew how in that environment, which was strange to me. It was different, nowhere I really ever wanted to be. And within just a couple years, my boss came to me and he said, we, we're going to have a chaplain of our institution. And it seems like, honestly, instead of going outside to find somebody, it seems like you're like already doing it. So why don't we just name you the chaplain? We'll free up your schedule, give you half a day to teach, half a day to do this, and you just kind of operate like the pastor of the school. Whoa. Okay, okay, awesome, that, that's cool. And I didn't have any idea that God was going to use those relationships and that opportunity and that platform to become the beginning of Four Corners Church. All I know is that I felt God say to me, why don't you do the thing you think you're called to do starting right now instead of waiting for the future? Now, I think that's not a principle just for me. I think it's a now principle that brings real love now into your life, that brings eternity of your future into your present. But only if you work as unto the Lord. Because if you put your eyes on people, if you think you're doing it for her, if you're doing it for even just for yourself, that has a short track. It has a quick dead end. Do it as unto the Lord. And so when your boss comes to you and leans into you a bit, you might need to have an honest conversation, push back a bit, watch your attitude and that. And then do your job as unto the Lord and see what God does with that kind of activity. Don't just wait around for the other. You can get your head around that. You can plant that in your heart. Principle number one, more often than not, God guides us to our dream through our opportunity. So take full advantage of your current opportunity rather than passively wait for the next one. Now I want to give you a principle for your heart. Principle number two. Now, Principle number two. The focus of your life, even the dream, not your future. This is not what God wants for you. He didn't want you so focused on your future. The focus of your life is in a person. His name is Jesus. This is God's dream for all of us. So when our focus is there, Jesus leads us to the future he has for us. I see people miss this all the time. Ben, I want a better marriage. Ben, I want a better job. Ben, I'm not living in my passion and gifts. God's put so much more into me than my real life is allowing me to express. I'm stuck. And they're so focused on the now or so focused on a future. When the Bible makes it crystal clear, you want to get to the place of your dream? Quit focusing on him and her and it and when. And focus instead, turn your gaze on Jesus. Now, again, this is all the way through the Bible. 
When major characters in the Bible focused on their God and their relationship with their God, it changed everything in their life. When they put first things first, the other priorities began to trickle into place. Real harmony and real balance and real purpose begin to be lived out in their life. Their finances no longer dictated their moods. Their circumstances no longer dictated their full reality. There was something else at work, a relationship that was vibrant and dynamic where there was communication and interaction and a willingness to hear and learn from the teacher, Jesus. And that focus shifted everything. Everything else got dimmer as he got brighter. It didn't always change their circumstance. Sometimes it was still difficult, but everything got better. But some of us, just to be honest, are stuck here. You're so focused on your stuff that you can't hear Jesus calling to you. All through the Bible, one of Jesus' favorite words was, Come, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men, he says in Matthew. Matthew 4, Matthew 11, he says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, burdened down. Come, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, it's easy and light. Learn from me and discover the unforced rhythms of grace at work in this world unforced rhythms of grace at work in this world and yet we force and we strive and we're so loaded down we're so loaded down with everything else and Jesus invites us to come lay those burdens down so without like being overly dramatic I wanted to just show you a little bit about what we're burdened down with I like to travel we bought this bag. It holds a lot of stuff. It's heavy. I took my daughter on a trip a couple years ago, and uh, about an hour in, she was doing fine. About an hour and 15, she couldn't handle it anymore. I had to take over this bag and her bag. And the bags got heavy, and it slowed us down. I was still glad to do it. By the time the day was over, I was worn out. I was so glad we had reached our destination because I didn't think I could keep going. I wonder if that isn't just a story about Ben's past with his daughter. I wonder if that doesn't describe maybe a little bit of you spiritually. This bag right here is the bag of sin. Now, it's not a popular topic. But in the Christian life, when we get our eyes off Jesus, sins have a way of piling up. There are sins and there, are, there is sin. Sins are the things you do you shouldn't do, the things you're supposed to do that you don't do. Uh, those pile up when we lose our focus on Jesus and get him on everything else. But then there is sin just as a category, as in the state of sin. You can probably by effort work a little bit on your sins. But there isn't a person in this world, in this room, who can deal with the state of sin in your life. That's why God sent Jesus, the Savior, who deals with sin. So that the sin, state of sin in our life doesn't build up and weigh us down. We're dragging it through our life so that we don't think that we can deal with the state of sin just by cleaning up a little bit. So we put on ourselves a self-serving, self-righteousness that simply weights us down. I'm telling you, some of you are still carrying around the sins of your past. And you're not moving towards the place of your dream. That's why when we baptize people over here, that's why we draw a clear line of demarcation between the dead man who goes under the water, buried with Christ, and we raise him or her up to new life. 
And the water symbolizes the washing away of the sin, the sins and the state of sin. And I say to all of them, what needs to stay in the water? Most of them anyway. What needs to stay here? Because I don't want them to get up and carry around the sin, the acts of sin, the state of sin, past sins, present secret sins, hidden things we try to keep away from everybody else, future sins that we think about, dream about. So wait. The apostle Paul wanted us to know something about these weights. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, look at this phrase. Power passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He had just talked about all these great people and all the things they had done. They go before us. They set the example. In light of all that they've done, let us then, all of us, throw off everything. Now in the Greek, the word everything there means everything. <laughs> let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, weighs us down. And let us Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God has a path for you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, our faith, our faith walk. He thought it up and he perfected it. Who for the joy set before him endeared the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from other people, from sinners like us. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We carry around our sin. And God's offered us a Savior. We don't just carry around our sin, do we? We carry around our guilt. It's just what we've got going on. We're hiding. It's all the weight of it. The impact of it. I mean, just the guilt that, that consumes us. The sense of regret. The silent apologies. The, if I could do it over again, I would. But I can't. You can't go back. And it weights us down. And there's an enemy of our soul who wants to remind us. Remind us of all that we've done so that we feel like God can never use us. We have sin. We have guilt. And it's real. It's not just a figment of your mind. You can't drink it away. You can't sex it away. It lingers. It stays. And through the din of activity, it will still speak in the silence of the night when you finally quiet down. They are weights around us. And we're called to run with perseverance. The race set before us, and we can't run. Ellen and I had a train to catch. I'm carrying her baggage on the right and my baggage on the left and the place is crowded and I can't get anywhere fast and there's a timetable and I can't get there. The opportunity's about to move on behind me. And I'm running and tripping and trying not to cuss because I'm trying to keep my eyes on Jesus but all I can see is a bunch of people who talk English a little funny. We were in London at the time. It's killing me. And I did everything I could do. I stacked them on top of each other and did this. I turned sideways. I carried them like this. And it just was exhausting. We got sin. We got guilt. And they weigh us down. They entangle us. That's not all we got, is it? We got a little bit of pride. That's what this is. It's the smallest bag I got. It's somewhat easy to hide. It's small, but it's got a lot of compartments. You ever got a piece of luggage and then you were packing and you realized, oh, there's a zipper there and there's a spot there and there's a snap there? That's what this one does. It runs deep in us. It's the 
I can't let you see the real me because if you did, maybe you wouldn't like me. So I got to do this perfection thing. And I dude myself up so well on the outside so you don't see what I really think about myself on the inside. And I'll take credit for your work because I'm too insecure in myself. And I won't ever let anybody talk down to me because I couldn't afford to take that hit. It somehow hits too deep. It's the weight of pride. It's a small bag, but all the things in our life that God hates, he hates this the most. And he's called us to come to him and put the weights down. Sin and guilt and pride. There's just one more. I was talking about this, not even realizing it the other night, with some great friends. And this is not a bag like the other bags. It's not a a sin or a, a part of the curse in the normal sense of the word. This is the weight, the bag of our dreams. And here we are in the middle of a series talking about our dreams. But for some of us, the dream itself, we're dreamers, it becomes a weight on us. It's hard to satisfy a dreamer. They're never fully satisfied. So they dream about a house, but when they get a house, they want a garage. When they get a garage, they want a driveway. When they get a driveway, they got a car in the driveway. When they get a car, they want a boat attached to the car. They're never satisfied. And the weight of our dreams sometimes can weigh down the sense of what is yet to have happened in our life. And we think to ourselves, maybe I could carry my dream, but I'm so busy carrying around my sin and my pride and my guilt, I can't fully. And we see other people, and then we get jealous and bitter because we think, how can they? And I can't. Paul comes to us under the authority of the Holy Spirit, and he says, cast aside everything that entangles Run the race, fixing your eyes on Jesus, not your sin, not your past, not yourself, not even the dream he's put in your heart, but him himself. Real love now. You want to know what real worship is? Real worship happens when you respond to the call of God, where he says, come to me, all of you who are burdened down. And you come carrying yourself and all the stuff you got and you know you're not worthy. And you know you don't deserve it. The reason we wanted to create a place of real love where people could be authentic is we didn't want them to have to feel like they have to feel in a lot of other churches. They got to get it all fixed up and when they get it right, they have a spot. We wanted to make the invitation of Jesus crystal clear here and now. You come with your stuff. Real worship, it begins right here like this. God, this is me. I have so much stuff. And I don't know what I'm going to do with my sin. And I can't shake the shame. And I can't stop thinking about what I want and what I need. And I can't stop thinking about the future. But will you take me anyway? And then you begin to walk towards him. And then you do what Paul said. And I don't know how you do it fully, but you begin the best you can and the Holy Spirit comes alongside you. And you begin to drop them. And you come and you cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And you start slow. Maybe you're crawling, but little by little, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and you walk the walk of faith. And God begins to make you into the image of of his son. 
and you come with praise and where you had the garments of heaviness on you and burden on you, he begins to wrap you with garments of praise and you begin to get your joy back. And you come to church and you don't simply think, God bless me today, but you come and you begin to have an attitude of gratitude, of praise on your lips. God, you're worthy. And we sing songs about that and it's not just words on a screen. And where there was heaviness, there begins to be joy and peace. Because there's a principle that says, if you focus only on your future and the stuff around you, you'll miss the future. As believers, we're called to focus on Jesus. Two now principles that can change everything for you. Starting today. Would you take out your Connect card? Let me walk you through a couple steps together. We really value beginning the relationship with Jesus around here. So I wonder if there's anybody in the room who would say, man, I, I need to make things right with God. If you want to do that, you can check next step A right there on your Connect card. And as an act of your faith, just commit your life to God. God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need your activity in my life. I need you to lead me. We believe if you do that, you begin a relationship with God. You simply say, God, I need your forgiveness. Would you lead my life? Some of us need to draw that line of demarcation in the sand. This is my old self. This is my new self. We need to do next step B and get baptized. That's all that that's about. I rise to new life in Christ. For some of you, it would be the most freeing thing you've ever done. If you haven't yet experienced the cleansingness of baptism and all that it represents, don't miss out on that step for you. I wonder if next step C this week, I need to start begin taking advantage of ministry opportunities that are already right in front of me. Like, I don't mean opportunities, plural, let me just, but there's something specific, an opportunity, one thing that you could do this week to begin moving forward right where you are instead of waiting for God to open up a door. It's an opportunity you already have. You just check that box and make action this week. Next step D, I need to let go of some baggage and have a fresh encounter with my Savior. And set my gaze in his direction. Some of us need revival, friends. That's what that means. The Holy Spirit who gave us life breathes new life into us. And we shake off the weights. If that's you, look, don't don't miss because you're proud. Check it. Humble yourself before the Lord. Ask him, God, renew my spirit. Do your work in me again, God. Freshen me. Bring me into life. Breathe into me. And we sing, stand up and take your place as a son and daughter of God. Walk in the freedom. Run towards him. Next step E. Here's something we believe God's put in front of all of us. Typically, on a big day in the life of our church, we just try to pack in as many butts and seats as we can. And we felt like God clearly said to us this time, don't do that. Nothing wrong with that. That has its place. This time, we wanted God to speak to each of us individually and say, here's a specific name I want you to approach about coming next week, being in church, to hear about the real love now that God offers. We're going to help you do that. In each of your seats, you were given a, uh, an ice scraper. I take it home. It's our gift to you. We're big spenders around here, as you can tell. I think they were all of 70 cents apiece. So, whew, thank you. Um, but beyond that, we're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to come forward and take communion. Literally come and dine at the table of Jesus and get refreshed. And if you do that, and as you come, if God puts a name on your heart, you'll have an opportunity 
to take one, I said it was in your cup holder, but you have an opportunity to get one and take it back with you to your seat, or take two, take two. And if you want to take two, that second one is for the person that God puts on your mind here in the next few minutes if we pray, that God wants you this week to take advantage of the opportunity in front of you and use this little tool to break the ice with them. Say, hey, look, my church giving these away. He wants you to have one. And by the way, we're having a special Sunday. Maybe you want to come with me. I'll meet you near the front door at 930. Kids are going to love it. We're just talking about the, the fact that this life we have right now isn't all there is. And I was thinking about myself and all that God's been doing in my life. I don't know what language you would use. This is the language I would use. I thought maybe you, you would enjoy hearing about some of this. It's really been encouraging to me. I don't know how you need to do it, but Maybe you just say, hey, look, my church is giving these away. thought maybe you'd like to look at it. Go to the website. And a few days later, you say, hey, have you checked that out? We're having a special Sunday. Maybe you want to come. Let's, so instead of just going out to everybody, what if you took advantage to go to one person? I want to pray. As I do that, some folks are going to come forward to serve as communion. And then you can come, and you can grab the wafer, a little piece of bread, and dip it in the decorated cup, which is wine, or the undecorated cup, which is grape juice, and Feast on the fact that God wants to renew you. You can take one for yourself, our gift to you, or you can take two and take advantage to invest in just one person and say, in effect, I believe, even if you don't use these words, God wants you to know real love right now, right where you are. Let's pray about that right now. Lord Jesus, God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you have called us and you put us in positions right now where there are opportunities in front of us. You've called us to faithfulness there, God. Not when, not if, but now. God, thank you also that you have given us an invitation to come to you and to shake off the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and to run. And we can't do that in our own power, Lord. We can't even deal with our sin fully. So, God, some of us in the room right now are doing business with you. We're committing our lives to you for the very first time. We're saying, God, we want you to be our Savior and our Lord, a forgiver and our leader. Others, Lord, we need a fresh encounter with you. Somehow, on this journey of faith, we got tangled up again. And we've been listening to the lies of the devil and not to the truth you speak into us. So, God, would you renew us and refresh us? Would you help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher, the designer and the perfecter of our faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.